doesn't know Christ, who <clears throat> is far from God. Maybe that, that, that it's somebody who lives here in town. It could be somebody who lives far away. And uh, if you didn't get one of these bookmarks, one of these prayer guides, make sure you get one. You're going to need that. Cried out that the theme of last week was if we've got nothing to lay before our friends, which is true, we've got nothing of eternal significance to offer. We can't solve their problems. We can't save them. But when we've got nothing to lay before our friends, we lay our friends before the Lord. And that's what we did last week. And you can see these names here all over. Our, our kids are doing it. So if, if, if you're just joining us, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But at the end of today's message, we're going to have another intercessory altar call. So if you didn't get one of these, or I, I suppose, you know, you could just write the first name here and tear it off. If you didn't get a chance to do this last week, come and lay. Obviously, it's a symbol. You can pray anywhere. But come and lay your friend's name symbolically, laying them before the Lord, asking God to move in their heart. And so if you weren't here last week, we're going to give another altar call this week. We're actually going to do it again next week, too. Leave these names up here uh, at the end of this service. But also, at the end of the service, and I hope you'll do this, I hope if you were here last week and you just want to come to the altar and intercede again for your friends, your loved ones, your one, I hope you'll come and join me at the altar again this Sunday too. All right, so there you go. Who's your one? Our whole church is doing it. Even the kids are doing it. Man, I've been so excited to hear these testimonies that are happening. Uh, 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 two little second grade boys <clears throat> decided they had, a, they had a friend, one of their buddies, who told them he didn't believe the Bible. He didn't believe in God. And they decided, oh, it's on. <laughs> and so these two little second graders right here at Coleman First Baptist, they were given a Bible by their teacher. And she said, okay, now here's how to do it. That Monday morning, right, this week, this past Monday morning, they go and they give this kid the Bible. And the story I got was they told him, now look, the stories in this Bible are true, so you're going to take this Bible and you're going to read it. And the kid said, well, you know, I don't know if I'm interested. They said, I don't think you understand. <laughs> Little second grade mafia is out there getting the Bible. Into the, but I love it, right? Their boldness. Isn't that, isn't that something? Their boldness puts some of us to shame. Let's be led by the children. Let's be bold. So, so as I said, this week we're, we're praying and we're going through this, this prayer guide. Next week we're continuing. We'll have an altar call interceding. God is laying somebody on your heart. Who's your one? And uh, like, like somebody actually asked me this. They said, well, well Pastor, um, I actually, I know the series, Who's Your One? I've actually got two. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fine. Lay two at the altar. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have them here. Let's see, March 15th is next Sunday. Then March 18th, we'll have a special prayer meeting where we're coming to The Rock. We'll bring the intercessory prayer meeting on Wednesday night that I pray with every Wednesday night. You're always welcome. We'll come up and have an intercessory prayer meeting over these cards along with the student ministry. The youth ministry is going to join the prayer meeting, and we're going to pray for these cards, the one in the sanctuary. Then we'll clear them out. That gives March 22nd, March 29th. i got something special planned for those. And that leads to Palm Sunday, April 5th. Remember this date. Palm Sunday, April 5th. First Sunday in April. Why? If, you, if it would help you, as you're inviting your friend to church, if you're inviting them to Christ, if it would help you to say, I, I really need that line in the sand kind of evangelistic moment, here's what I'll promise you. On April 5th, Palm Sunday, April 5th, if you will begin now thinking, if you will get your one here, 
If you will get them in this church service, April 5th, I will preach a particularly evangelistic type message where we'll do an altar call, a kind of harvest time at the end. Think like crusade, right? And we're going to see who God's going to save on Sunday, April 5th. If that's a blessing to you to know that that's there, get them here. And don't just say, hey, you know, I want you to come. Like, Go get them. Bring them. And let's see if, if that's a blessing, if that's helpful to you. Okay? Now, obviously, this, this is not a church growth program, right? I, I don't care. Get them. If you say, well, they don't live in Coleman. This is about building the kingdom. Not about church attendance or any of that. We want to see people saved. By the power of God. Okay, so that's available April 5th. And then the Sunday after that, of course, is Easter. And then it's, it's just, you know, hallelujah, and, and we'll be off and going. But there you go. Along the way, you've got this prayer guide. I don't know if you've been using it. Man, I highly recommend. that This has been rich. Each day has a scripture. Uh, uh, it's a 30-day prayer guide, and we started it last Sunday on March 1st. So today is March 8th, so we're on day 8. And it's so cool because each day has a scripture and then you pray for your one using this scripture as a prompt. And it's been so good for me because it's a reminder to pray scripture. So like today's prayer, uh, Luke 10, Jesus told him the harvest is abundant but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And the prayer is God, raise up other Christians who can have a relationship with blank, with, you know, with my, my one, who can partner with me in sharing the gospel with them. In particular, cause the, their believing friends and family and co-workers to take every opportunity to speak truth, allow the words, and, and save this person and turn them into a laborer. Anyway, you get the idea. So we got the prayer guides going. we got intercession. And we're looking forward to that great harvest. You obviously, this is our timeline. God can do anything. Uh, April 5th, as I said, one more time, Palm Sunday, April 5th, we'll get them here. We'll have a particularly evangelistic message. But like, this is our timeline. God does his own thing, you know? The Holy Spirit moves. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a young man in our student ministry. BJ just felt led a couple Wednesday nights ago. He just, just kind of gave the gospel plainly, asked any who wanted to receive. And a young man gave his life to Christ, got saved in our student ministry two weeks ago. And BJ told us all, and I said, BJ, you can't do that yet. Or who's your one? Hasn't fully started. <laughs> Right? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? God doesn't care. God doesn't need all this stuff. God's just going to do his thing. And so I, I've got this great plan, but it is in God's hands. He's moving in our midst. There's a fresh wind blowing through. So today, we're going to continue looking at how Jesus did missions and evangelism. Turn with me to the ninth chapter of Matthew. Turn to Matthew 9. We you do that? Will you turn in your Bibles? Turn on your Bibles and get to Matthew chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 35. To give you a little context, th we're just going to look at a few verses. It's, these are a this is sort of a bridge passage. What do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's, a connect it's sort of the connective tissue, a kind of hinge. Up until now, Jesus has been doing the ministry himself. He's been going out doing this ministry. You know that he called these 12 disciples. Well, starting in Matthew 10, the chapter after this, he's going to engage the disciples and have them. He's going to send them out to do all this ministry. So this is kind of the... The, the verses that bridge the first half of Matthew's gospel with the back half. So here we go. Matthew 9, 35. You ready? Verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Notice, Jesus went that's important. He went. We have a Savior who hit the streets, you know. 
It doesn't say Jesus remained locked up in an ivory tower and he, and he thought about a bunch of theological debates and, he, and, and his mind went through and he wrote a bunch of books for academics. No, Jesus hit the streets. He went to every city and all these cities and villages. He went out there and he did three things. There, notice the threefold ministry of Jesus. It says he did teaching in the synagogues. He proclaimed the good news and he healed every disease and sickness. Teaching, preaching, or proclaiming, and healing. Teaching. Well, what does it mean, teaching in the synagogues? Well, all these cities had synagogues. Some of them have multiple synagogues, even in villages. What is a synagogue? Well, a synagogue, if you couldn't get to the temple, you could gather for teaching and worship in the synagogue. What is a synagogue? Synagogue means gathering. Specifically, what did it take to have a synagogue? You needed 10 Jewish men. If you had 10 Jewish men together, 10 Jewish men, if you could gather 10 Jewish men, they could have a legitimate official synagogue. And what would you do at the synagogue? Well, they had there, they had copies of scrolls. They may not have had all of everything, but presumably they had the, the law and the prophets and the writings. You could take the scrolls and you could do teaching. Best of all, there were these traveling teachers that came around, these traveling rabbis, and they would come and they would be allowed to do teaching. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was taking advantage of that. These synagogues, sometimes cities and villages had multiple of them. He would come in and he would do teaching from these Old Testament scrolls. In fact, that's what we see in Luke 4 where Jesus goes and he finds the scroll from Isaiah, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm going to do all these great things, right? I'm going to, I'm going to heal, and I'm going to set the captives free. He gets done. He, he reads that, and he says, let me teach you about this. <clears throat> this is me. This is here. Today, this has been fulfilled in your presence. And so he's, he's teaching. He's not only teaching. It says he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean, preaching the good news of the kingdom, preaching the gospel? Well, that has to do with just that. It, it means proclaiming, I am here. All this teaching from the Old Testament, it's telling you that Messiah is coming, and I'm here to proclaim the good news. It's here. I'm here. The, the, the idea of gospel or good news is not unusual to a Roman audience. In fact, the... Um, the uh, is Siri talking to me right now? Fall back. Siri, this is my sermon. Asked you. Maybe I did. I didn't mean to. In the gospel, in, the, in, in Roman times, the, the idea of, a, of a, a good announcement, a royal announcement, like, a, like, hear ye, hear ye, that kind of thing. So, for example, when a new Caesar was born, Caesar, not Siri. Okay, when a, new, when a new Caesar was born, they would pronounce throughout the kingdom the good news, the Greek word for this announcement. It was the evangelion. You hear that? The evangelion. We get the word evangelism, right? The good news, a Caesar is born, and all our troubles are going to be far away because the Caesar was born. Or... If a, a great battle was won, right? So the Roman army was fighting and they won some battle, some war. They would go throughout all the cities and village and they would proclaim the El Uangelion. They would proclaim the good news. Hear ye, hear ye. This battle's been won. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. He was going around and he was saying, uh, it's not a Caesar that's being born. That's not the good news. And it's not that a battle has been won over a, 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 an earthly army. Oh, no, 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 no. There's one born to take away the sins of the world. The army I'm fighting is death, and I'm here. Messiah has come, right? So he's proclaiming the good news, and he's healing. Healing what? Every disease, every affliction. Circle that word, every. Woo. What does that mean? It means there's nothing that can stop King Jesus. It means there's no disease powerful enough to stop King Jesus. An epidemic. Anybody heard lately about an epidemic? Can you imagine with a word 
King Jesus stops a whole epidemic. Every disease, every affliction, showing what? Showing his power. Now, why do I make a big deal about the threefold ministry of Christ? Teaching, preaching, healing. I mean, really, come on, Tom. You spent like, like six minutes on that. Teaching, preaching, and healing. That is mildly interesting at best. Why would you make a big deal about teaching, preaching, and healing? I'll tell you why. Because the teaching, the preaching, and the healing is the past, the present, and the future indicatives of his ministry. What do I mean by that? It's the past, the present, and the future. Stay with me. The teaching is all about the past. Watch. The teaching was the, was the taking of the Old Testament and unwinding it and, and untangling it and showing people that the Old Testament was what? It was pointing to Messiah. So the teaching over and over like he did in Luke 4, like it says he did with the, uh, with the two disciples in Emmaus. What did it say? It said starting with Moses, the law and the prophets, he showed them how everything that had been written was about him. The teaching was going into these synagogues going, hey, hey, hey. Hey, remember when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain and there was a near sacrifice of Isaac, but at the last minute there was a ram caught in the thicket and the ram was a substitute so the son didn't have to die? Yeah, what do you think that? You think that story points to anything else? Hey, uh, what about Moses delivering the people from bondage, pulling them out and getting them safe and delivered? You think that was just about Moses or was that about something else? Uh, uh, well, what do you think about Joseph, who was, who was sold by his brothers into slavery for pieces of silver, and though he was sold by his brothers and cast away by his brothers, his being sold into slavery resulted in the salvation of all of Israel. You, you think, hey, what do you think that points to? Every year you take a Passover lamb, and that lamb is killed, and the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost. The lamb dies as a substitute so that the, the people can go free. Don't you see that points to something else? That points to me. That points to Messiah. Teaching is looking back into the past and saying every story in the Old Testament whispers his name. You hear it? Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to what's coming. It's him. And that's the teaching. It's showing. This whole thing's been predicted. The teaching is the ministry, the showing how the past points. And the preaching, that's the present. The preaching is basically this in two words. Ta-da! I think that's one word with a hyphen, but whatever, right? You got it? The preaching is saying, do you see it? I'm here. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom. Here, now, it's here. It's available. Salvation's here. Everything that the Old Testament promised and predicted, it has come in me, Jesus Christ the Messiah, proclaiming, right? You're proclaiming, be saved today. Today's the day of salvation. Past, present, and healing. Healing is all about the future. Why do I say that? Every time Jesus healed somebody, it wasn't just to show his power and authority, though it did that. It wasn't just to authenticate his message, though it did that. It wasn't just an act of compassion, though it certainly was compassionate to heal somebody. And he certainly healed a lot of people. But if his only ministry was to physically heal people, he would have healed everybody on earth. Why doesn't he? The healing is about the future. Listen to me carefully. Every person Jesus healed, he did it as a preview of coming attractions. He did it to show the world this is what's coming. When my kingdom is fully established in the new heaven, new earth, you need to understand, in the new heaven, new earth, the blind can see. Hmm? The deaf can hear. The lame can walk. Where I'm going, where I'm taking you, every time you see a healing, he's showing you this is what's coming, y'all. 
This is what there is coming a day where it'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more tear. There will be no uh, brokenness. There will be no diagnosis of cancer. There'll be no more anxiety. There'll be no more depression. There'll be no more darkness. And when he healed somebody, he was saying, that's what's coming. I'm setting the world to rights. Put all enemies of God on notice. Put anything that would destroy and damage my beloved creation, humanity, on notice. I'm coming. I'm here. And this kingdom, when it comes in fullness, everybody will be skipping like, like lambs. Like this lame guy, he gets up and he takes his mat and he walks and he dances and the blind can see. He says, that, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. Past, present, future. He was everywhere. A ubiquitous guy. All over the place. And yet, look at the next verse. This obviously attracted great crowds, right? I mean, if you can preach and teach and heal great crowds. And when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Wait a minute. I get the metaphor. He looks out and he he sees these people as harassed and helpless. They're sheep without a shepherd. But you just said Jesus is the good shepherd. He's everywhere. How can it be that he's a... How how can you say that the people don't have a a shepherd? Isn't, Isn't Jesus their good shepherd? And isn't he everywhere? Well... Couldn't you say the same thing about Coleman, Alabama in 2020? I mean, one thing people talk about Coleman, when you come to Coleman, right, there are churches everywhere. Am I right? I mean, everywhere you look, you can't, I mean, you you pick up a rock, throw a rock, you hit a church. (laughs) Sorry, don't throw rocks at churches. That's that's bad and wrong. But you know what I mean? They're everywhere, every corner, right? And there's Christians everywhere. I mean, I go into the coffee shop in the morning, you get a cup of coffee, and I see little groups of people huddled up. And they're not talking about the New York Times. They're huddled up around God's Word. They're having Bible studies and praying for each other. It's like, man, the Good Shepherd is everywhere. And yet, isn't it true? That though here we are in the Bible Belt and here everywhere you look, it seems like, seems like everybody's got a Christian bumper sticker. Everybody's got a Christian t-shirt. You see it everywhere. Isn't it true? You and I both know. If you stop and you have eyes to see, you realize, no, 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 folks are hurting. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One of the great things about this who's your one, as I look around at all these cards all over the place, one of the things that who's your one does is it doesn't just say, oh, you know, we live in this big county. There's all these folks. No, no, no. It's not. It's that, it's that guy. It's that young woman. And I realize they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, there are some, no doubt, who are very good at getting polished on the outside and they don't look lost at all. I know that. I know. There are some who, uh, 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 it's like there's, there's no, uh, uh, you know, they're always laughing. They got a big personality maybe, but on the inside, man, they're hurting, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Others are lost, but they're, they're arrogant. They're proud. You ever been lost and proud? <clears throat> Has it ever happened to you that you were going to drive to a destination and you got in your car and you're, you're ready to take off. You haven't been there in a while, but you're pretty sure you got a good idea. And let's just say hypothetically, let's just say hypothetically, hypothetically, your spouse pulls out their phone to type the, the address into the GPS, right? We're going to get here by the GPS. Have you ever looked in that moment and said, put that thing away? You ever done this? I know where I'm going. I know exactly where I fall back, Siri. Making sure, I don't need your help. I can find that. You ever done that? You're, you're proud. You know the way. To what? Hours go by. 
And at some point you realize, it's like, who's going to humble himself first? You know what I mean? And at some point you got to humble yourself and you got to say, uh, listen, uh, if you don't mind, would you pull out your phone and uh, go ahead and type that in, right? I thought I had it, but I'm lost. Ah, something's revealed. Sometimes people look like they got it all together until the not statements. What are the not statements? Listen for it. This is like a little seam. Often the gospel gets in a little, little crack in their armor. Don't, 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 uh, don't quarterbacks talk about finding a seam in the defense and they can just get that pass in there. Just find a little seam. Here's a little seam when people say the not statement. When they say stuff like, whew, I was not prepared for that. How about, we did not see that coming, right? That something came in their life. They're, they're in a time of upheaval, a time of transition. Sometimes that's a seam. Listen for that. When you're one, you've been praying for your one, don't be surprised when they come to you and they say, hey, we, we were not prepared for that. Or how about this one? We're not from around here. They're new. They, 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 maybe they wouldn't admit it. Maybe it looks like they got friends. But the fact is, they might be lonesome. They don't have a place to connect. Listen for those not statements. Yeah, they might look good on the outside, but harassed and helpless. Literally torn and thrown down, these words mean. It makes sense if you think about it. Sheep without a shepherd are in great danger. Sometimes the sheep are without a shepherd because it's their own fault. They left the shepherd, and so everything they get, they deserve. Other times, wild animals, coyotes and wolves come and attack the sheep. And that, that's true for us, too. Like, look, part of people's woundedness is because they've been sinned against. And if you're here today, maybe you would say, honestly, you're talking about me. I feel harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, okay. Part of what you're feeling, you've been sinned against, and you've been the victim, and that's not your fault. It is also the case that sometimes you've done your own sinning, and that stuff is your fault. So which is it? Are we harassed and helpless because of what others have done to us? Are we harassed and helpless because of what we've done to others? The answer is yes. The Bible says yes. Jesus knows. Yes, you have been sinned against. He knows. He loves you. And yes, you've done the sinning. He still loves you. I mean, what did Jesus say? When he saw the crowds and he realized these sheep had run off, what does it say? When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with what? He was moved with cynicism. And he said, well, they get what they deserve. Is that what he said? No. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with indifference. Eh, it is what it is. What can you do? People never change. Is that what it says? No, he was moved with sarcasm. Ha, these Bible Belt people, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Is that what he says? No, he was moved with what? Moved with compassion. Compassion. He loved them. He saw them. He didn't, he, he, he you know, the, the, there's a great English word, compassion, passion, to suffer, come with, to suffer alongside, to be moved. Uh, the, the, uh, the Greek is even better. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. We, um, and you may have heard this before, but we think of compassion as being touched in the heart, right? We think of the heart as the seat of emotions. But the ancients, they didn't believe the heart was the seat of emotions. The heart was will and thoughtfulness. But the seat of emotions wasn't the heart. It was the guts, literally the bowels, right? He, was moved. he had a gut reaction. I mean, I don't re recommend this, fellas. Don't, like, later this week be like, honey, I love you from the bottom of my bowels. Like, that, it's not romantic. But it, but it makes sense, right? Have you ever been moved by something and you had butterflies in your stomachs, right? Don't, don't, uh, don't uh, stomachs, as if you're a cow, you have multiple. I mean, you know, like, 
you know, ever before a big game, young people, you know, you're an athlete before a big game, don't you get don't you get nervous? You get sick to your stomach, right? When uh, this is what moms feel when 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 their kids are uh, 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 supposed to be being watched by dad, but instead they're playing in the street, right? And she sees from a long way off there's a car, and they might round that bend. I, this is hypothetically. Say you live on a corner, and and. And you're out, and they're out there, right? What does the mom feel? Is this danger's coming? She feels moved in her gut while dad does what? He yawns. But he's supposed to also be moved, right? You understand? This sense of being moved. Jesus was moved with compassion. One of the many problems about having a 24-hour nonstop news cycle. We don't really get moved by compassion anymore. We've become compassion numb. When's the last time you watched the news and you just wept over the brokenness, over the hurting, over, I mean, again, the thing about who's your one that's so, I, I think it's so important is that it's not just all those people out there. It's this person who's, who's not safe. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're not okay. And they're bound for an eternity without Christ unless God does something, unless, unless they're saved, moved with compassion. When's the last time you've been moved to tears over the hurting? Jesus was not only compassionate, he was compassion incarnate. Whatever compassion, he like was compassion. Whatever compassion is, it was personified in Jesus. Jesus is compassion. Why do I say that? I, I say that with conviction, that he's not just an adjective. He is the noun compassion because of this line in Titus 2nd chapter 11th verse. It uses a different term, but same idea. It says, but now the grace of God has appeared among us. It doesn't say Jesus was full of grace. Other places say that, and it's true. It says literally, he was grace. Whatever grace is, that was Jesus, and he's here among us. He was compassion. If you look throughout the scriptures, you see this word, and it describes the heart of the Father. In, in fact, in, in Jesus' story of the, the parable of the prodigal son, it says, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him, and he was moved with compassion. At the feeding of the 5,000, it says he was moved with compassion for the people. Uh, uh, later, he I mean, it filled with compassion. He healed them. I'm thinking of w when he entered Holy Week and he looked out on the, on the triumphal entry. He looked out over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've wanted to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her precious chicks. He had compassion on his arrest. How about this one? When, when Jesus was arrested, here's a moment of compassion. Uh, when they come to arrest him, he's got so much on his mind. He's about to go to the cross, about to go to the trial. He got all this, and of all the things he's worried about, when they come and get him, he makes it very clear. He asks him in John 18, he tells the, the guards, if you seek me, let these men go free. If I'm the one you want, fine, take me, but let them go. Isn't that something? He gave himself up, and he was worried about his boys. Make sure they're safe. That's the gospel. Take me, let them go. Even on the cross, with all the things on his mind and all the agony, what was he? He had compassion. He was worried about his mama, wasn't he? He looked down at John. He said, John, behold your mother. In other words, you take care of mom. I'm, I'm not going to be. You take care of mom like, I, like she's your own mother. And, and, woman, behold your son. And for all of us, he had compassion. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was compassion. Compassion is more than just, yeah, 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 I know there's people that are not hurting. Compassion is coming to this altar. It's laying this person. It's active. I heard Josh Surratt, he's a pastor of Seacoast Church down in Charleston. I heard him give a great illustration of compassion, how it moves from the gut. It moves you. Uh, he had some friends over, and they had little kids. 
he himself has kids. And I don't know how it works in Charleston and the ocean, but apparently that, that, this boat dock, and I don't, know, I don't know, I understand how all the tides work and everything, but presumably there's a ramp that gets to the boat dock. Maybe it's the same thing on Smith Lake. When, when the water's high, the ramp is very flat, no problem. But when the water's very low, the ramp is very, very steep. And that, of course, is where four-year-olds love to play. Right? They don't wait till it's safe. They wait till it's, you know, a roller coaster of death, right? And they get out there, and this was wintertime in Charleston, and so yeah, it's, still, it's still a warm climate generally, but it can, the water temperature can drop kind of low. And so uh, anyway, th- th- this, uh, this family, they got these four kids, and the youngest is four years old, and they were playing with the, with the pastor's kids, and they were running around, and you know, anyway, they're coming up this ramp, and sure enough, you know the end of the story, sure enough, they run, and they tackle, and the four-year-old tumbles off the boat ramp into the cold water. What did the mom do? Mom's seeing all this. What did the mom do? You know exactly what the mom did. The mom was moved with compassion and jumps into the water and gets the kid safely to the dock. Then beats him with it. I don't know that part of the story. I don't know. I don't know. But does what? Jumps in the water. Let me ask you a question. Did she worry about her clothing? What kind of question is that? Every mom in here knows, of course not. Did she worry that she had just bought new sneakers and they were very expensive? Very didn't care. Did she worry about how she would look and what she's going to do? I mean, she didn't have a change of clothing. What are you going to do? None of that mattered, did it? At no point, this is my favorite, at no point I heard Pastor Surratt say, at no point did he ever even think of going up to that woman and saying, hey, what was all that about? You know you got like three extra kids back up here at the house that are totally fine. You, You know you got some spares, right? Like, what's the big deal? You would never ask that. That's a ridiculous question. It's not about looking dignified. It's not about the clothes. It's about compassion. And I'm going to come to this altar and I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to cry out. And I might even embarrass myself. And I might even invite him to church. And I might even do all these things. I don't care why. I'm moved with compassion. Look at this altar. First Baptist, you're moved, you've been moved with compassion for the lost. That acts. Yes, there. Yes, we're not worried right now. Yes, there are those that are safe. Yes, fine, but these are not safe. They're not. None of these names right now are safe, and we're asking God to move to save. On your mark, compassion. Get set is the next verse. Urgency. On your mark is that compassion. You feel that compassion. Good. On your mark. Get set. Urgency. He said to his disciples. Look at verse thirty-seven. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Guys, it's harvest time. It's here. And there's not enough laborers to get the harvest into the barn. That means things are urgent. Now, let me ask you, do we really believe Jesus? I mean, come on. In 2020, in Coleman, Alabama, do we really believe Jesus? Do we really believe that the harvest is plentiful? There's so many people ready to receive Christ, but there's just so few laborers to go out and get them. Isn't it true? Come on. Isn't it true that after a while, you start to believe the lie that Jesus, you start to think that Jesus actually misspoke and it's the opposite. Come on, after a while, don't you think, no, okay, come on, look, I could see in like an unreached country, you know, some Muslim country on the other side of the world that the harvest is plentiful, labors are few, but come on, this is common, like, come on, really? I think it, a lot of us believe this lie. It's actually, the, the laborers are plenty. There's all sorts of preachers and churches and Christians everywhere, and there's just so, there's just such a little harvest. There's only so many people to go around. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you mean there's only a certain kind of harvest, right? Good, perfect, put together, wealthy families that we want here. Yeah, okay, maybe. 
But open your eyes. Jesus wants everybody. And you open your eyes and you look around and you realize harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. Don't listen to me. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. One of the lies of the enemy is that the people that we're sharing the gospel with are not interested. That's a lie. That's a lie. People are interested. People do want to come to church. What they're not is invited. We got to go get them. We got to invite them. Don't believe that the harvest is so, so few and the laborers are plenty. That's not it. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And crops don't just sprout legs and walk into the barn. They'll die out there in the field if they're not brought safely into the harvest. So on your mark is compassion. Get set is urgency. On your mark, get set. Here we go, verse 38. On your mark, get set. Come on, y'all. The stage is set. The harvest is ready. The time is right. The situation's urgent. It's fourth and inches, bottom of the night. The shot clock's winding down. What do we do? On your mark, get set. I would have said go. You would have said go. We'd all be wrong. Look at verse 38. On your mark, get set, ask. Excuse me? Yeah. On your mark, get set, ask. Ask, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Ready, set, pray. Don't you see why this verse is so important? Of course he's about to send out laborers. Of course he's about to send out disciples. Of course he's going to give the great commission one day that says go. But the power is not in what we do. It's in what he does. The reason he says, on your mark, get set, get on your face before me. On your mark, get set, pray. On your mark, get set, cry out to God is because he wants you to remember ultimately whose harvest field is it. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is not about building anybody's kingdom. This is not about our power and personal evangelism. This is about the Lord of the harvest using us to bring people home to him. It's his harvest. Didn't Jesus say, apart from me, you can do nothing? By saying, ready, set, pray, we are reminding ourselves this is all about God's power. This is all about what he can do, not what we can do. I'm already hearing stories. Folks are coming to me just, just, just after the first service telling me about something God did with their one. I, uh, I have one of my own. I, 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 think, I think it's nothing short of miraculous. I asked my two resident theologians. They're 11 and 8. And one of the great joys of my life is getting to drive these two kids to elementary school. It takes about 10 minutes to get there. It's usually about uh, 7.59 and 59 seconds. But we come in there. Uh, one day I'll get to take the third. She goes to, I don't know how she, I think we sent her with Uber. Somehow she gets there. It doesn't matter. But one of the great joys of my life is my two little resident theologians. We talk about everything. Talk about everything. It's just, it's, it's, that's how it is. And it's always the little things. It's always the little things that are great joy in life. And time's so precious. And I shared with them this week something that I want to share with you. And my, my resident theologians, the reason I bring them up, they both declared it a miracle. And so I'm going to share it with you. Last week was the first day of the month, and I took the prayer guide, and I prayed for my one. He's I, actually, my one is actually in the sanctuary, on, but whatever, you get it. Sorry, my card is in the, you know what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say. And on Sunday, I prayed with you for him, and on uh, Monday, I prayed. And here's the thing, I have not seen this guy in months, possibly a year. 
It may have been within the last two years, but definitely not within a year. He lives in town, but I have not seen him. He has not darkened the doors of the church. I, again, it's been months, maybe even years. And I prayed for him. And I prayed for him on Monday, and I prayed for him on Tuesday. And on Wednesday morning, I was praying for him. And as I'm praying for him, Scott was in the office. We, he, you know, he, he was talk, Pastor Scott was talking, and he, he saw, he can verify this. The guy, walk, I can see outside my study across whatever street that is on the north side. And there he was. He was standing there, out there, right there. I hadn't seen him in months. Here I am praying for him, praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. He appears. I said, Scott, I'm sorry, whatever we're talking about, we got to put this on hold. He's like, go. I run outside, I talk to him. We talked for a half hour about spiritual things. He was so open. It was as if, y'all, it was as if God had ordained that whole thing. Now you tell me, you tell me what had to happen years and years and years ago to make all these things align. You tell me. Can you honestly tell me that's a coincidence? I haven't seen this guy and he's on my heart and I'm going, okay, Lord, I guess I got to find his number. I guess I got to somehow, somehow get his contact information. I mean, I want to reach him. I want to definitely invite him to April 5th. I mean, I, I want to talk to him. I want to do all these things. And there I'm praying and there he is right there. The 11-year-old and the 8-year-old, they didn't have to think twice about it. They're like, miracle, 100%. That's a miracle. <laughs> miracle. I think they're right. Who gets the credit in that story? Who's the hero of that story? Huh? Is it your pastor? Am I so super bold that I'm just like, an, oh, man, I'm a soul winner. I'm going out there and I'm knocking on doors. No. Oh, you know, our, our pastor, he, he must have really arranged the circumstances to meet that guy. No. Is the hero this program? Ah, yes. It's the who's your one. Yes, by slick marketing, you were able to draw this guy to Fifth Street or what? No. Who's the hero of that story? It's the Lord of the Harvest. It's the Lord of the Harvest. And I mean, duh. Of course, you're going to be one of the. I mean, who prays? God, there's a harvest. We need laborers. Please send laborers. I wonder who he'll pick. Like. You're going to be one of the laborers. But the work is not about what we do. The work is about what he does. And we walk in that work. Because it's his harvest. It's his harvest field. So will you, will you join me again this morning at the altar interceding? Can we do Matthew 9, 38? Can we lift these up and watch what God is going to do? in our midst because look I, I love my one and you love your one but I didn't die for him only the good shepherd the Bible says the good shepherd he did more than just have compassion for those sheep he laid down his life for these sheep and will you join your good shepherd in interceding and praying don't let anything keep you now if you weren't here last week you got you got you come and lay down your name at the altar if you were here last week and you feel led like I do to come join me at this altar join our Lord Jesus here and pray. You come now. I'll lead us in a prayer. You just make your way up here and begin kneeling and praying. God, we give you glory in this place. We ask for freedom here, God. Shake us out of complacency and move us to a heart of compassion that we might come and pray, oh God, not with a perfunctory kind of Thing, not where we're just doing it out of compulsion, but that we're doing it out of compassion. God, we want to see you move. We want to see more miracles. We're believing you, God, for great things. We're crying out, oh God. More names need to be added to this altar. More people need to be in heaven, oh God. But, it's, but we can't do it. We can't do it. The harvest is too much. There's a ghost.
We need laborers. We pray, oh God, for other churches around this county. God, strengthen them right now. There's churches all around that are preaching the good news. Oh, build them up, God. Let people get saved in other churches, anywhere. God, build your kingdom. We pray, we pray, we pray for this one. We pray. You take all the time you need. We're on God's time here. We're on God's time. It's a holy moment. Chuck's going to lead us, give us some time, just give us some, some space. Just give us some space to get with the Lord, to pray over this one. You don't feel rushed. If the Lord wills, and we are gathered here next Sunday, we're going to leave these names strewn all across, and we'll, uh, we'll once again Sunday open up uh, the altar. It's always open, of course, and uh, we can come and kneel and pray. And then the Wednesday after that will be a, a special Wednesday intercessory prayer. And now, you know, it's just, it's just seeing how prayer moves us right into asking, inviting, reaching out, sharing the good news. Uh, can't wait to see what God is going to do in, in, in our midst. Next is, of course, your Sunday school. And Pastor Scott asked me, and I, I failed to mention, maybe I mentioned it last week. But we want to make sure that in your Sunday school time, wouldn't it be good, just, just if you'll carve out five or ten minutes, just to have a time of prayer for your one. You're creative. You're thoughtful. You'll know just how to do that. But take some time in your Sunday school to pray for your one, and th 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 this will be a, a Sunday school uh, initiative as well. I hope to see many of you tonight right here in this building at 4 o'clock p.m. We have a special service. It is a service of celebration. Perhaps you saw the posters. 
Uh, we've got special guests coming. We've got some surprises. We even have a surprise gift for everybody who's coming. You're getting a gift, and you're getting it. It's going to be great. And uh, I won't uh, give away all the surprises, but you won't want to miss it. It's tonight at 4 o'clock, and it is to celebrate what God has done and this church uh, retiring her debt. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. You, you were told not to celebrate till four. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but we, we, we're just so happy about what God is doing. We'll be right in here. Uh, see you back here at uh, four o'clock. Would you stand for our benediction? Speaking of shepherds and sheep, our benediction is from the 13th chapter of Hebrews. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I love you. Have a great week. See you tonight.